Islam, is it a religion of peace? What do Muslims believe? Are they a threat to the world today? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zuckerman. Recently, Pat invited Dr. Norman Geisler to address Islam at a conference in Hawaii. Today, you'll hear part two of that presentation. And by the way, both programs are available at evidenceandanswers.org. It's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. All at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerman presents Dr. Norman Geisler on Islam. Co-author of our book on answering Islam, uh, that's in the back, uh, used a pseudonym. He didn't use his real name. He used Abdul Salib, which means servant of the cross, but he didn't want to use his real name because everyone that he knows from his country that converted to Islam is dead. He converted from Islam to uh, Christianity. He's dead. Why? Because the Quran says they should be killed. Here's a picture taken by Amnesty International illegally in Saudi Arabia of someone who is being beheaded. Not sure the reason, but it could be just something like adultery, let alone uh, blasphemy or conversion. Make war against unbelievers. Fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor in the latter days, nor do they prohibit what Allah and his apostle have prohibited, nor follow the religion of truth. Fight them. Surah 8, fight with them until there is no more persecution. How long should you fight unbelievers? Until there are no more people who aren't Muslims, or at least who aren't fighting Muslims, until there is peace. When is there peace? When everybody accepts Islam as the true religion and either converts to it or submits to it. Religion should be only for Allah, but if they desist, then surely Allah sees what they do. Slay idolaters. That means you. If you worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you don't, you're not a Christian because that's essential to being a Christian, then you should be killed. Then when the sacred months have passed, slay the idolaters wherever you find them and take them captive and besiege them and prepare for them each ambush. But if they repent and establish worship and pay the poor dues, then leave their way free. Of course, if they become Muslims, then you can allow them to live. Lo, Allah is forgiving and merciful to those who become uh, Muslims. 551. Don't befriend Christians and Jews. You might want to think about this. O you who believe, do not take the Jews and Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. And whoever amongst you takes them for a friend, then surely he is one of them. Surely Allah does not guide the unjust people. Why do the Muslim, radical Muslim nations hate the United States? Because we're friends of Israel. That means we're enemies of theirs. Surah 930. And the Jews say, Ezra is the son of Allah. And the Christians say, the Messiah is the son of Allah. These are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saints of those who disbelieved before. May Allah destroy them. How they are turned away. Surah 860. If you die in a jihad, in a holy war, you'll be rewarded in heaven. Whatever you spend in the cause of Allah shall be repaid to you, and you shall not be treated unjustly. In fact, in the 
hadith that says the person who participates in holy battles in Allah's cause and nothing compels him to do so except belief in Allah and his apostles will be recompensed by Allah either with reward or booty if he survives or will be admitted to paradise if he is killed in battle as a martyr and will be greeted by 72 virgins. Now what's the reward for a woman? No woman would want 72 husbands. She probably can't stand the one she has. Uh, and 71 more wouldn't be a paradise. That'd be more like hell. Uh, so there is no such reward. Sorry, women. Make war against unbelievers. Fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor in the latter days, nor do they prohibit what Allah and his apostles have prohibited or follow the religion of truth. Obviously, it's a religious war. It's not punishing somebody who's committed a crime. It's punishing someone who has committed the crime of believing in some other religion. Surah 840, fight until all are Muslims. When is there going to be peace in the world? When all our Muslims are submit to it. Fight with them until there is no more persecution and religion should be only for Allah. But if they desist, then surely Allah sees what they do. Now, many Muslims have tried to get around these verses by uh, spiritualizing them, saying this is a purely spiritual struggle, like we struggle between the old nature and the new nature, or it's just a defensive war. They were just trying to protect themselves. Or is this literally true, literally, and not merely defensive? It seems to me that the evidence is for view number three. Why? The context of the verses that I read you, the example of Muhammad himself, and the history of Islam. Now, I've already read you the verses. Let's take a look at the context. The context is literal. It's talking about killing, cutting, beating, cutting off fingers. Other events are taken literally war, self-defense, uh, and idolatry. And it was practiced literally by Muhammad himself. Though the definitive interpretation of what his revelations meant should have been how he practiced them himself. And it was practiced literally by early Muslims. Now this is from The Earliest Life of Muhammad. It's a book that you really need to read. It's a thick book written by a Muslim 150 years from the time Muhammad died. It's the earliest and most authoritative book written by a Muslim on the life of Muhammad. And in this book, it says, Muhammad condoned the killing of unbelievers in general. He condoned the killing of a Jew who wrote poetry against him. It wasn't blasphemy, it wasn't murder. He condoned the killing of any Jew who fell into their hands. If you happen to be somewhere and, and you got a chance to kill one, kill him. He engaged in killing 600 to 900 Jews at one time. A man who refused to help him find hidden treasure. They're looking for hidden treasure. Came across this man. He wouldn't tell him where the treasure might be, so they killed him. Meccans who satirized or insulted him. Muhammad doesn't like satire. Remember the cartoons in Sweden and all that. That's, that's an insult. They killed Meccans who did that. There was a one-eyed shepherd. He had one good eye, and the other one he was blind, and he said, I will never become a Muslim, and for saying that, they put a rod on his good eye and pushed it right through the back of his head. And again, I tell you, I'm not making these stories up. This is the most authoritative life of Muhammad in existence. A woman who wrote a poem against him was killed with the Muhammad's approval. Her nursing baby 
was uh, ripped from her breast and she was killed because she had written the poem satirizing Muhammad. Pretty clear from the context in the Quran and from the life of Muhammad that he took these things literally. Evidence from the history of Islam. It started in Saudi Arabia in the blue in the bottom right there and it spread first through Persia. That would be through Iraq and Iran and over toward China. Then it spread west. Now, mind you, when it went across Egypt and North Africa, that was all Christian. That was thriving Christian communities there. And when it jumped the Straits of Gibraltar and went over to Spain and up into France before Charles Martel saved the West from Islam, this was not a defensive war. There was no stretch of the imagination. The Franks weren't attacking the Arabs on their turf, they were aggressively spreading Islam by the sword. Today all of those countries are dominated by Islam and uh, I really should get a map that has pink on them because uh, there's a lot of pink countries in addition, countries that are threatened and Western, a lot of Western Europe is threatened to be dominated by Islam as well. Evidence from recent terrorism. Now, from 1972 on, the Munich Olympics, just look at the main terrorist acts that Islam has performed. U.S. Embassy in Iran sees, remember that? How did that end? Does anybody remember? It ended by electing Ronald Reagan, a conservative president. And the very day he was elected, they released the uh, prisoners. 1980, kidnappings in Lebanon. Marine barracks attacked in Beirut, 83. Killy Laurel attacked, 85. TWA flight hijacked, 85. 86, German nightclub bombed. TWA flight bombed, 88. World Trade Center, we forgot about 1993. They tried to blow it up then, you remember? It didn't work. Kobar Towers bombed. U.S. Embassy bombed. U.S.S. Cole bombed, 2000. World Trade Center and Pentagon attacked, 2001. Bali nightclub bomb, 2002, Philippine airport bomb, Madrid train bomb, we, uh, they had helped us and so that was their penalty, 205 London transit car bomb, hundreds of attacks in Iraq, and 206 following, this doesn't count, hundreds of attacks against Israel. In fact, there is a um, website called Religion of Peace, I think it's .com, might be org. And just a few years ago when I looked at it, they keep track. There were 8,814 attacks by Muslims since 9-11. 9-11 occurred in 2001. 8,814 attacks. This is not a religion of peace. Now, many people say, well, wait a minute. Your record's not so good either. You've had the Crusaders and you have the KKK. And uh, there are radical Christians, and there were radical crusaders, and you have no room to talk. And you burned crosses on the yards of uh, black people, and so don't criticize the Muslims. There's a big difference, and here it is. When a Muslim engages in a jihad, he is acting consistent with the teaching of the Quran. When a so-called Christian engages in a crusade or a KKK action, he is acting contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. It's a big difference. 
they're acting in accord with their religious document. And when alleged Christians do that, they're acting contrary to their biblical base. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. When a Muslim engages in a jihad, he is acting consistently with the example of Muhammad. That's how he did it. I just gave you the examples. When a Christian engages in a crusader KKK, he's acting contrary to the example of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus saying to his disciples, put the rod in that guy's eye and push it through the back of his head because he won't tell us where the hidden treasures are? Or rip that baby from his mother's breast because she said something insulting to me? When a Muslim engages in a jihad, it's the logical outworking of Islam. Yes, there are peaceful Muslims, and yes, you probably have a neighbor who's a peaceful Muslim. And yes, maybe the majority of Muslims that you know are peaceful Muslims. I'm not talking about statistics. I'm talking about what the Quran teaches, what Muhammad uh, taught and lived, and what is consistent with Islam. When somebody engages in a crusade, it's an illogical outworking of Christianity. There's nothing logical about a crusade in connection with the teachings of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. When a Muslim engages in a jihad, we have to remember that Islam grew by the use of the sword on others. When he preached peace and tolerance the first few years, he wasn't getting many converts. We have to remember that Christianity grew best by the use of the sword on it. Look at China. You know what the mark of an older Christian in China is today? That they have two broken thumbs from thumb screws. Tell me where the people are that are in the underground church. Tell me where they are. They have two broken thumbs. Christianity grows when the sword is used on it, not when it uses the sword on others. Islam is exactly the opposite. I want to make one more comparison here. We've looked at the background, the basic beliefs, the practices, and now a comparison. Islam believes that there's only one person in God. Christianity believes there are three. Now, the reason I do this two-column chart is because I want to show that this pluralism is wrong. Both of these religions can't be true. Somebody's dead wrong here, and I don't mean that to be a pun. If there's only one person in God, there can't be three. If there are three, there can't be only one. Somebody's wrong. They both can't be right. Islam says we're good by nature. The Bible says you're born a sinner. And sin did my mother conceive me, Psalm 51.5. For the children are wrath by nature, Ephesians 2. Islam believes that Jesus is merely a man, not God. Christianity believes that Jesus is more than a man, he's God. Somebody is wrong. They can't both be right. I remember listening to Farrakhan. I love to listen to Farrakhan. He's the smoothest talker I have ever seen. He is really cool. And he was saying, you know, Christians and Muslims are the same because Christians believe in submitting to God and Muslim means submission to God. So we're all the same. Now listen to this logic. All horses have four legs. All cows have four legs. Therefore, all horses are cows. Same logic. Exact same logic. No, they're not the same. Islam believes that Jesus did not die on a cross or rise again. Surah 4, 157. Seemed as though he did, but somebody replaced him. Most Muslims believe it was Judas. Replaced Jesus at the last minute, and it wasn't Jesus who died. 
The Bible says you've got to believe that to be saved. I mean, this is not just an incidental Christian belief. This is the heart of the whole thing, the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He rose from the dead. If you don't believe that, you're lost. Both views can't be true. Islam believes that this book is corrupted. Not small or incidental corruptions, but essential corruptions, like Ishmael was the promised seed. Jesus didn't die. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Those are pretty major things. We believe that the Bible in our hands has not been corrupted in any single major or minor doctrine, that we have 100% of the truth of the original Bible in our hands, and all of the other things are minor changes that don't affect the message. Islam believes that salvation is by faith plus good works, which outweigh bad ones. Christianity says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Somebody is dead wrong. If we're right, they're lost. If they're right, we're going to be dead because they believe that we're engaged in blasphemy. Now, if I were a Muslim, I would become a Christian, and I'll tell you why. Because according to the Quran and Islamic teaching, not the Bible, Muhammad was not virgin born, but Jesus was, according to the Quran. According to the Quran, Muhammad was not sinless, he even prayed for forgiveness. And by all means, Buddha, by the way, wasn't sinless. He'd be on the back of trucks, deadbeat fathers, if he were alive today. He deserted his wife and family. He's a child and and wife deserter. But Jesus was sinless. If I were a Muslim, I'd become a Christian. Because they believe that Muhammad is not called the Messiah, but Jesus is called the Messiah many times in the Quran. According to the Quran, Muhammad performed no miracles. When they asked him to do a miracle, he refused to do it, even though he knew the prophets did miracles to prove they were prophets, and he claimed to be a prophet, he didn't do any miracles. But in the Quran, it says Jesus performed Miracles including raising people from the dead. In the Quran, Muhammad is not called the Word of God, but Jesus is called the Word of God a couple times in the Quran. According to Muslim teaching, Muhammad is dead and his body is rotting in a grave. According to Islamic teaching, Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, but his body went directly to heaven. And he's going to return and die later and resurrect and tell people to follow him, as I said earlier. Now I ask you, would you rather follow a, a not virgin-born, sinful, not Messiah who couldn't perform miracles, who's not called the Word of God and his body is rotting in a grave, or a virgin-born, sinless Messiah who could do miracles, including resurrect the dead, who's called the Word of God and his body's in heaven? If I were a Muslim, I would become a Christian. The comparison speaks for itself. Yes, Islam is the greatest threat in the world today. Despite how many peaceful Muslims there may be, there are a lot of uh, Christians who don't believe what Christianity teaches either. There are a lot of nominal Muslims. But true Muslims who believe the Quran, who believe the example of Muhammad, are following through with what their religion teaches, and they are the greatest threat in the world today. Why? because there's so many of them, one-fifth of the world's population, because they are religiously motivated, rooted in their, quote, inspired book, and because they believe that they are the one true religion and that everyone else who doesn't believe that 
should be eliminated. That is a dangerous, dangerous religion. I don't know if you saw Fox News last week, but there are 35 radical Muslim cells in the United States were training grounds where they're training radicals. Right in the United States had pictures of them. In addition to that, there are literally hundreds of thousands. If you take the 3.3 million Muslims who are here, and if you take known statistics that about uh, almost half of those uh, believe in radical activity or support radicals, then we're talking about tens of thousands of radical Muslims and Muslim supporters in the United States today. Can you imagine what would happen if all of them rose up? They were all called to rise up uh, against us. I think it's a very, it's the most dangerous thing in the world. And now, and now we are trying to talk peace with a religion that has not had peace in its inspired document, has not had peace in its history. We are trying to talk peace with them. It is absolutely futile. They respect only one thing, and it's the same thing that they have, force. And where Christianity has been forceful, where Christianity has been dynamic, and where Christianity has reached Muslims for Christ and has withheld their onslaughts, Christianity has survived where Christianity has been liberal and nominal, and where we have not met force with force, we have been annihilated. And so we have a choice uh, in America today, and the choice is life or death. The choice is Islam or vital Christianity, because no other force in the world is known to be more powerful than the force of fear. And that's the force of love that's expressed in the gospel that can change hearts and lives and that can transform them as it transformed my co-author and as it transformed one of our students who was from Africa. And when you get love that performs courage like this, then you'll have the solution to the problem. Abdul Diallo, a student who came from Africa who converted to Christ, wrote his father, who was an Iman, and he said to him, I have become a Christian. His father said, don't come home or I'll kill you, which is what he had to do, according to the Quran. Abdul said to his father, you told me if it's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. That's what you taught me, and I don't care if you kill me, I've become a Christian, and I'm coming home. He got an airplane, went to Africa. His friends met him at the airplane, said, his father has a death squad for you, don't come or you're going to be killed. They talked him into getting back on the airplane. Meanwhile, Abdul's mother spoke up and said, well, he's an adult, and he decided to become a Christian. He's our son. Can't we at least have him home? And the father hit her so hard that he killed her. So now his mother is dead. Then his father knew that he was working on his brother, and so his father sent him to the top Islamic school in the world in Egypt. So he would be indoctrinated, not become a Christian. Abdul kept witnessing to him. He became a Christian, started witnessing in Egypt. Somebody said to him in Egypt, you better stop doing that or you're going to be killed. A few days later, his roommates found him with several bullets through him. Lost his mother, lost his brother. Then his other brothers and sisters started saying, what kind of religion is this that kills you if you don't believe it? 
And several of them became Christians. You cannot stop the power of the gospel, the dynamite of God. We need to witness to these people. We need to win them to Christ. We need to change their hearts. We need to resist their radical uh, efforts and their efforts to get an atomic bomb. We need to do all of the above. It needs to be resisted militarily. They need to be won spiritually and evangelistically. We've got to win this war on every front, and we have to win it on the intellectual front. You know how it was won in the Middle Ages? Thomas Aquinas, 1224 to 1274, a guy who lived only 49 years, died before his 50th birthday, wrote almost 120 books, wrote Summa Contra Gentiles, a missionary guide to the missionaries in Spain. He literally won the intellectual battle against Islam. We've got to win it spiritually, intellectually, or, and or militarily. Or Christianity as we know it in Western civilization is going to be history. This is uh, D-Day for Christianity in the world and it's D-Day for America. We appreciate you joining us for Evidence and Answers of Pat Zucran, And it's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org.